Traveling. Are you still traveling during this pandemic? Welcome back to quarantine season. My name is Eller Camacho. I have a special guest here joining me today, a teacher who moved cross country during this pandemic with her fiance. She's also a good friend of mine who I met through my sweet mate, Julie of three years and my friend of five that passed away in October of 2015. We all went to Georgia State together. We reached out to each other during that time more than ever and became good friends. It was like Julie brought us together to have each other in our lives and keep her memory alive. I'm looking forward to catching up with her. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Kelly. <laughs> How are you um, doing? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm I'm good actually. Yeah. And how are you how are you coping with everything? You know, I think probably like everybody is like di- different moments have different feelings. Sometimes I'm fine, sometimes I'm overwhelmed with everything, you know. Just kind of moment by moment. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. you there. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. This like an emotional roller coaster for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, what led you and your fiance to want to move during this pandemic process? Right. Yeah, so she got a really great job offer in the Bay Area and it was just worth moving. She had been looking in jobs in the area before all of this started and actually like flown out here for a different potential position like before the pandemic started. And so that kind of got our wheels turning about the possibilities and then offer came through like end of June, early July. And so we had to start brainstorming what that would look like moving in the in the middle of all of this uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so um, but- you know it, it didn't necessarily come out of nowhere because it was something that we had been looking into but it definitely wasn't the time that we thought it would happen or how we thought it would happen just because of everything going on <laughs> Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah. I was just like like you pick now. I know. <laughs> so uh. now it just gives me like a better perspective because when it comes to a job, you just got to you you got to just jump on it because someone else might take that spot. So right. if you don't go at the if you don't jump at that job, someone else someone else is your job your job is easily replaceable. Right. And she's in biotech and um, the Bay Area is just like the hub for that. And so like this job itself is a great opportunity, but like being in this area is good long term also just because of the possibilities after that, you know, so it made sense. We didn't think that it would be <laughs> in the middle of all of this, but, you know, long term, it really makes sense for us to be here and we're happy to be here now. Safe. <laughs> yes. Definitely. And I remember you saying even before all this happened that you've always wanted to move to the West Coast anyways. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't like that. That part. That part wasn't a surprise to me. That part wasn't a surprise because, you know, living in the South, it's not really LGBTQ plus friendly. Yeah, not at all. (laughs) It's Uh, not. And that's the thing. People are always so surprised that like a I left Georgia and b that I don't really necessarily plan on coming back but it's like you know we're a a queer interracial couple like (laughs) like we we could live 
certain places, but would we, would we be happy there? Would we be treated well? Um, you know, those are things that we have to consider that like, you know, like, I don't know, like a, a straight couple or like a, um, a, a non-interracial couple would have to consider. And so, I mean, we're, we're just kind of always going to be in city areas. It's just kind of <laughs> what works best for us as a couple in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, because even, even just me moving to California, I had to come back because of everything went on lockdown. Mm-hmm. But even just moving there, I felt like I could finally be myself. Right. It was just so exhilarating. It was, mm-hmm. and you don't really have to come out to people. It's just, you are who you are and that's it. Right. And as a teacher, like, this is the first place I've been where, like, that hasn't been a big deal. Wow. I believe it. <laughs> like, most people are, my coworkers have always been okay. But, um, and when I taught, like, in Atlanta proper, like, I wasn't worried about it. But, um, when we moved to Maryland, we were in the suburbs, and it might have been okay, but no teacher was out at the school, and I really didn't want to be the first one, <laughs> you know? Because yeah. when you're the first one, you have to carry that burden of everyone's opinions about it as they process. Oh yeah. um, and so I just, I was never out to students or parents in Maryland. A couple students found out, um, but like I never explicitly said it. And that's such a weird feeling. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Like, because being gay or queer or any of those umbrella terms mm-hmm. is not who you are. It's just a part of you. Exactly. And people, once you come out, it's like that is your number one thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's like my name is gay and my name is Lisette too. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's, that's their point of view on it. Exactly. But if straight people did it, they would say, my name is straight and my name is Sarah, you know? Right. But it's just crazy that people are still oblivious of how they approach us in conversation (laughs) or how they want us to introduce ourselves. Mm -hmm. And even when people think they're being supportive, like the amount of like invasive questions I receive and like microaggressive comments is just like well-intentioned but just like you would never ask that to a straight person like Mm, I get so like uh, because you know teaching is a very um women-dominated profession and a lot of teachers are moms and so I get so many invasive questions about like if I want to have kids how I want to have kids how would that work like a lot of a lot of invasive questions about it and it's like I shouldn't have to discuss this with you like this has nothing to do with our job like I don't know (laughs) Um, yeah it it really doesn't because you know what straight women they also do not all deliver vaginally but do they share that information with everybody no they they keep that thing so hush hush (laughs) you would never know until that baby is here Right. Oh, you use. Oh, you used. Um, you you used a sperm donor. Oh, you, you adopted. They won't. They won't say anything. But then you have to be. Oh, here I am, and this is what I'm doing. When I'm like, I don't. We we don't want to do that. We don't want to be. We don't want to be on the stage with the microphone in our hand and say, Hey, so my name is this, and this is my label, and this is how I'm gonna have kids. No. Right. Right. 
Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, and it's like so soon after people find out too. Like <laughs> either that, they ask about how, like how kids would happen or they ask very weird and intimate questions about like how sex works. And it's just like, I, I don't want to talk to you about that. Yeah, no. <laughs> we don't know each other like that, you know? Um, yeah. it's, it's crazy the way people just come at you. <laughs> I, I remember I remember when I was at Georgia State and it was like soon after I came out and mm-hmm. one of my guy friends was like you should practice kissing guys first before you kiss a girl and I'm like he told me to go a couple dorms down to kiss some guys practice on them and then uh, so I can be ready and I'm like do you even hear yourself yeah do you even hear yeah. yourself? And it's just like, you do not need to be with a man to know that you are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Right. And nobody tells straight people that. No pe- Nobody is like, yeah. are you sure you're straight? Have you tried exactly. <laughs> to get someone of your same gender? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. And speaking of that and like microaggressive, like one, I had a colleague um, when it, they were talking about all the pregnancy stuff, they were like, you should just get drunk and sleep with a man. Oh and my I'm like, gosh, I've been told that too. <laughs> and I'm like, A, n- no, I'm in a relationship. But B, like, I also don't drink. Like, there's so many things. <laughs> I don't drink either. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, like so many things. And, and they knew that about me. Um, so, but there's just so much wrong with that. Like, you would never tell someone else in a committed relationship oh you're having a hard time getting pregnant with your partner just go sleep with this friend it'll be fine like yeah. so so bizarre yeah so I, and bizarre. I, yeah and i've been told to do while being sober is to find one of my guy friends to sleep with them to have a baby and then they're not the father right and so whoever i marry that's gonna be that you know, my um the mother I'm like, no, that whoever, no, I do not want to bring my friends into the middle of this. I do not. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Because when you bring your friends, it's like working with your family. If you bring your family into a workplace and you're all working together, you all want to kill each other. So imagine bringing your friend into something like that. It's going to be a hot mess. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. (laughs) So... So how did you you and your fiance meet? We met um, pretty shortly after I graduated college. It was um, like the December after I graduated and it was just on a dating app. But it took me a while to figure out that I was gay. And so I had dated a a guy all through college. Um, I'd only ever dated men. And then, I mean, in the middle of me dating that person, I realized that I was attracted to women, but I, at the time I thought it was bi. So I was like, well, I'll just, that's a thing, but I, I'm in this relationship. So I'll just, you know, put it to the side. And then after we broke up, I started actually exploring my queerness. And so anyway, I went on a couple of other dates with other people, but I found Val around December and our first date was nine hours long. Wow. <laughs> Not on, not intentionally or on purpose, um, but we just clicked so yeah, well. I, we just yeah. kept talking and talking, 
and we went on a second date the next day. (laughs) I think we spent like three days straight together. And yeah, we just really, really clicked. And we've just kind of been inseparable ever since. And yeah, we started, I think we started officially dating like a, a week or so after our first date. And yeah, we've been together ever since. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And so the the guy that you're dating through college, did you ever come out to him? Yeah, I told him what I was thinking because I probably came to terms with it in myself like junior year of college. Mm-hmm. And he was actually very supportive about it. He was like, if you feel like that's something that you need to explore, like go ahead. But I didn't end up doing it because, you know, shortly after that's when Julie passed away and I spent yeah. a lot of my energy um focused on on, on that on um, her yeah yeah on, on grieving um yeah. and just trying to finish college because she passed my senior year um and so it was a lot to balance like grieving and trying to graduate <laughs> I feel um, you girl I yeah I was in my first semester in a medical grad program yeah and it was a hot mess yeah I couldn't tell you how he feels about it now I don't know we haven't spoken since like October 2016 um so who knows how he's feeling about it these days but initially he was was kind about it well that's that's great though that's great that he was supportive Mm -hmm. because it could have been it could have gone the other way yeah he did though I mean after I did tell him that he started getting really jealous of my friends that were girls oh um, because he thought now that oh that's that's another thing people yeah. people think that once you come out your your friends that are girls they may think that you like them because you're queer or gay whatever and yeah but that, everyone has a type everyone right. has a type and so he probably thought oh like analyzing every friend you have probably yeah and we and it was like uh, one particular close friend of mine, but we were in the program together. We were co-teaching. So we had to talk a lot because we had to plan together like as part of our program. Yeah. yeah. And we're still close friends to this day, but it was never anything like that. And it was just interesting. Like after my attraction woman was known, like that became a huge deal. But yeah, I mean, no hard feelings about, about him or that relationship or anything. And I, it seems like he's doing well. Um, we haven't actually talked, but I think, you know, it seems like he's successful and happy. So that's good. And I'm super happy over here. So it all worked out for the best for sure. That's, um, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And so do you have plans on ever going to graduate school for teaching or? I actually just applied to grad school. Oh, wow. Um, about a week ago. That's amazing. Yeah. That's funny. I brought that up, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was one of the things that was like good timing about moving to California is instead of because we we had moved states before. And the first time we moved, I, you know, got recertified and I started teaching in the public school system there. Um, but when I found out that we might move again, I was like, you know what, I think this would be a good time. Instead of starting over at another public school system, I think that would be a good time for me to go to grad school. And so I'm not doing the public school teaching thing this year. And I applied to grad school in the spring, so we'll see. But yeah, I'm trying to go for a library and information science. I want to transition into being a librarian. Oh, that's awesome. Um, 
Yeah. And I, I would like to like focus on and advocate for like children's literacy and things like that. But yeah, yeah. That's wonderful because there are a lot of kids out there that do not know how to read. Mm-hmm. By the even by the age of like nine or ten. Sometimes yeah. sometimes even middle schoolers don't know how to read. I'm like, oh my gosh, come on. Yeah, and there there's a lot of factors that that go into yes, that and I've, yes, and I've seen it firsthand teaching. It's like people like to refer to it as an an achievement gap. I don't like that language. I I refer to it as a resource gap because usually kids that fall behind, it's not for lack of ability. It's just for like they they weren't able to be um, started off in, in the same way that other people were like if, you know if you're a kid who is read to every night and has a whole bookshelf full of books versus if you're and goes to preschool versus a kid that doesn't go to preschool that doesn't have books at home whose parents are working three jobs you don't have the same level of exposure to literacy and and those that makes a huge difference and it's not an end-all be-all by any means people they don't go to pre-k end up being successful all the time but um it that's what i tend to see in the classroom like my kids that are above grade level and all of that tend to be kids that were able to have someone sit down and read with them early on and again not all the time but you know a good majority of the time it's about what resources kids have and what resources their schools have yeah, because not all schools have the resources to really educate the kids up to their highest potential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially now with a pandemic happening, I feel like that's highlighting it now more than ever uh, because families that have a lot of money are hiring, you know, private teachers and um, getting all the technology needed. And, you know, some kids don't have internet. And most school systems are providing that. But, you know, most of the time it's things that they're trying to buy in bulk. Most school districts are getting hotspots that aren't super reliable. And kids are being given Chromebooks, which can get the job done, but aren't as reliable as like a desktop computer or a more expensive laptop. And so even when schools are providing resources, it's still not the same as when a kid just naturally has those things at home and is able to replace things when they break and all of that. Yeah, because a lot, have, a lot of families don't have those funds. Right. The, the, like the number, like the, they have to focus on the necessities. We got to eat. Mm-hmm. We got to drink water. Um, mm-hmm. We got to use the bathroom. We need toilet paper. We need paper towel. And so, right. so the technology pretty much goes to the bottom of the Tatum pole. Right. And you know, when I was doing distance learning myself as a teacher, I put a lot of extra effort in to making things as accessible as possible because what we were given to give kids wasn't particularly accessible. They were giving us things as PDFs, which was fine for kids that had PDF software or printers. But if you don't have those things and you were just trying to use the school provided Chromebook, you couldn't do anything with a PDF. <laughs> No. And so I spent a lot of my energy turning all of the PDFs into Google Docs so that my kids, the majority of my kids, could actually access the work. And they did provide the printed packets at like the meal sites, but still, it was just like 
and they were doing the best that they could but it was just, it was just like little things that i don't know if they realized initially now they've installed um programs on all of the school chromebooks where kids can write on pdfs but it, we spent all of the spring <laughs> with just being given pdfs and so that you know so who, it, who uh, knows <laughs> it was a lot of trial and error it, look, mm-hmm. it looks like a lot of trial and error to figure out what was best for the kids and but it mm-hmm. it it took a little longer than it should have yeah and and i you know i i was fortunate that i had already developed strong relationships with my students parents because if i had kids that were missing from a session i could just text their parent and ask what was going on i had some colleagues you know where parent, like kids would be missing for like 2 weeks and they couldn't get a hold of the parent i happened to be open to texting and i think that that made me be able to reach a little more people but not every teacher is comfortable texting and that's okay but you know i was lucky that i was able to see and reach all of my kids that wasn't the case for a lot of people and so yeah i mean i i know going into it now everyone's kind of set up a little bit more with a little more knowledge and a lot of teachers are trying new things but yeah i hope it goes smoother this time for everybody and that kids can get what they need a little bit better yeah i i hope so too i um i actually last weekend i interviewed my old high school math teacher to see how they're doing things and in his case it was a better transition versus the other school systems Mm -hmm. because they already had the program set in place Mm -hmm. but um everyone's just trying to just do their best to stay patient and take it one day at a time yeah definitely because at this point we can't plan we can't plan for the whole year because we don't even know what's going to happen right. right and you know i give kudos to people that are in charge of trying to plan all of this and try to keep everybody in happy check. <laughs> yeah i don't want that yeah. job <laughs> i know it's a lot of yeah. work i did not envy principals or superintendents right now <laughs> yeah Uh, and um how did your family feel about you moving cross country to California? Um my mom and sister were very supportive. My um other relatives were kind of shocked, but I mean they're fine. <laughs> They'll be all right. Uh no one in my family really moves away. And so, you know, it's always a big deal when someone does. It's It's been me and one cousin. Everyone else has stayed within like 10 miles of each other. Oh wow, that's um, pretty close. Yeah. Even when I went to school in Atlanta, like that they were upset that I didn't go to West Georgia. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Wow. Um, you know what I like that was far. And then I moved to Maryland <laughs> and that was a big deal. And now I'm in California. Um My mom was surprisingly I she took it really well. I was worried that she wouldn't. But I think moving to Maryland first kind of ripped off the band-aid. Mm-hmm. Um and we lived in Maryland for 2 years, so you know, they see that I still talk to them all the time and stay in touch and stuff. There's so always been space, able to Yeah, there's visit. always FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Or Skype or whatever. Yeah, whatever I video I video chat, chat with my mom like 
I video chat with my mom at least once a week. And so, I mean, I think they know at this point that I, I stay in contact with them. And so it was less of a big deal. The only difference really in regards to my family this time is that there's a time difference. Um, yeah, the time difference sucks. Really yeah. does. I know it's just three hours. My my friends um, who are international, the school I went to, New York Film Academy, was pretty much 90% international students and like mm-hmm. 10% from the U.S. Mm-hmm. So my international friends, they were like, and you're talking about three hours? That's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> I'm talking, how about about 12 hours? How about 14 hours? How about 20 hours? I'm like, I'm like, okay, fine, but I still can't talk to my mom right now because she's sleeping. Right. So I I couldn't really be that vocal when I, when I was with them about, about the time difference because they had it way worse. Yeah. But I'm, I was grateful though that no, no matter what time my mom picked up the phone she was always up late Aww. anyways she was yeah like just last night she went to sleep at 2 3 3 she was like i was up till 2 30 or 3 o'clock and like and i'm like why i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah my mom stays up pretty late too but i sometimes i i i catch because we've only been here for like two weeks and so Sometimes I'll send a message and then I'll be like, oh, oh no, it's a, it's midnight their time. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You And and since I've been back in Georgia now, my family in San Diego, I have to remember, hey, remember the time difference because I don't want to wake, mm-hmm. I don't want to wake up the kids and right. my brother and my sister-in-law, I don't want to wake them up. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be right now in the same time zone as most of the people in my life, um, mm-hmm. because it was a struggle. Like me and my best friend, Paola, we would always be playing phone tag, yeah, and just, and just send voice messages to each other if we couldn't get in touch with each other. It's like okay, yeah. let's schedule this. Okay. So you're you have class at this time, okay? So I'll call you after I finish work at this time, and then we'll meet up halfway there. Right. <laughs> we had to yeah. figure out some type of schedule to make it work. Mm-hmm. And and that's also it. It goes for even just today, like with everything going on. Sometimes we don't want to talk to people because mm-hmm. we're going through all the emotions, and um, but yeah, we have to remember not to shut people out because. Uh, right now we all need each other yeah and definitely but it's it's just really important to just stay connected yeah definitely yeah i i try my best to remember to connect with people um i have adhd i found out a few months ago and so sometimes if like like when you have ADHD, you struggle a little bit with object permanence. And so sometimes I, I, I just forget <laughs> to check in with people and it's not intentional or passive aggressive or anything. It just slips my mind. And then I realize it's been like a week. <laughs> so I have, I have to like actively work on trying to check in with people and stuff. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I literally put in my calendar, call, call whoever on this day mm-hmm. and time. Like yeah. I literally have to schedule it because I will forget too. I don't have mm-hmm. ADHD, but I will forget. <laughs> yeah. Because there's just so yeah. much going on. You want to do so many things and you're only one mm-hmm. person, but your mind just 
won't shut up and leave you alone sometimes. Right. And um, but we have to we have to try a little harder, and it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Just to, I mean, just like a few weeks ago, I had just I had such a long day, but then one of my friends, he said to me like, I really miss talking to you, and I really had to just make that time for that moment to call him up and talk to him. And we talked for an hour. I I really enjoyed talking to him, but it really took out so much energy out of me as well. Right. I not only have anxiety, but social anxiety as well. Like just, mm-hmm. I'm an introvert, and when I exert so much energy out, like I really have to walk away and just be by myself for a moment to just right. get that energy back. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm introverted too. And. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to explain to people that because they're like, come on, come on. I'm like, I really can't go anymore. I've reached my limit. I've reached my limit. (laughs) Right, exactly. So to end it off, what Mm -hmm. advice would you give someone who's traveling during this pandemic? Um, Wear your mask and keep it on. (laughs) We flew um, because... We were worried that uh, we just had to kind of weigh the pros and cons of driving across the country versus flying. And so um, we ended up flying. And the only downside of that was like, we really couldn't eat or drink anything (laughs) because we wanted to keep our masks on. There are plenty of people that would take their masks off to eat and stuff, but you didn't didn't feel feel comfortable doing that. (laughs) I believe it. Um, And so, but I would just say, you know, really plan it out weigh the pros and cons of if you feel like it's safe um we did it kind of out of necessity for this job where we are not we have no plans of traveling (laughs) anywhere else anytime soon so i would say like only travel if it's necessary like if it's not absolutely necessary um then don't but we were able to stay safe luckily at this point it's been over two weeks so we have successfully traveled without catching anything. Val gets tested um, a couple times a week at her job. And so they've all come back negative and stuff. So that's good. But yeah, it, it was scary. And <laughs> I don't I really imagine. recommend doing it unless you need to. It ended up being fine. Um, everyone on the plane did a great job of keeping their masks on. It was like in the terminal where people were taking their masks off because they were eating and stuff, or they just felt like having their mask off. (laughs) And so, yeah, we kept our distance as much as we could. We wore N95s for the flight just because we knew there would be people, you know, bending the rules of of having their masks on. At the Atlanta airport in particular, we had a layover and there were so many people (laughs) with their masks pulled down and stuff. they they put it under their nose, which is like even more uncomfortable for one thing. I don't yeah. under, I don't understand that when they put it under their nose, and then yeah. and then they put it under their chin. That's that's not doing anything, right? There, but there are a lot of people, especially a lot of men. There were a lot of men with their masks just off, just like walking around the airport with their mask off. But you like have to wear it to get in the airport, and you have to wear it through TSA. But it wasn't really being enforced. And the waiting areas or walking to and from the terminals or anything, at least in the Atlanta airport. The other airports were pretty fine. And over here in the California one, we didn't see anybody with a mask off. (laughs) 
in March when I first left California, it was like how you described it, how you described the Atlantic Airport. And, and even even now, just seeing people walk in the streets, a lot of men are not wearing masks, but their wives are. It's so funny. Yeah. It's I, so funny. I, I, don't understand. I, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> or bu- or pa- parents will have theirs on and not their kids. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We saw that a lot at the airport. But luckily, everyone on the plane... <laughs> That's all that matters. That's all that matters. You know, we kept our distance from people when we were waiting. That's Um, that's good. That's good. So it all worked out. But I mean, I don't really, I don't really advocate, nor do I recommend traveling by plane. Like we ended up fine, but we were extremely, extremely careful. Um, And, but I don't advocate for it unless like you have to. And if you do wear the one of the masks that filter, because not everyone follows the rules. But... Yeah. That is wonderful advice. I hope all of you guys listen to it. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And so thank you for joining me, Kelly. Yeah. No problem. This was fun. Yeah, it was. And um, <laughs> and for the rest of you, see you back here next Monday. Stay safe and be well. Thank you. Thank you.